Welcome to Pearlcast. We're here with a presentation recorded at a local Pearlmongers meeting. Pearlmongers are loosely associated Pearl user groups that can be found around the world. To find your local group or to start your own, visit pm.org. Welcome to Pearlcast. This is your host, Josh McAdams, here with another presentation. This presentation was uh, recorded at LAPM and is by Brian Foy on Building My Own CPAN. Pearlcast is sponsored in part by Stonehenge Consulting. Stonehenge offers worldwide Pearl training and consulting services from some of Pearl's most recognized experts. Visit Stonehenge.com to find out more. Okay. This is an interesting room. I don't think I've ever been able to go to a talk where I could just stop and go play putt-putt if I feel like it. Okay, tonight uh, I'm going to talk about making my own CPAN. And this is basically my latest interest and uh, project. There's a lot of stuff that's already out there uh, that you're going to see tonight that you probably might uh, uh, be using already, but now what we want to do is even integrate that sort of thing further. Uh, so first let's back up and just look at CPAN. If you go to www.cpan.org, that's the main page that everyone forgets about because they're used to going to something like CPAN search, you know, search.cpan.org or COBE search or something like that, but it's, this is a comprehensive Perl archive network. We forget sometimes to tell people that's what it is, and we just assume that everyone in the world already knows what CPAN uh, stands for. Uh, it's really, I think, in my opinion, the best feature of Perl. Perl's a great language, but there's lots of other great languages too. The difference in Perl is that we have this big thing where the community has gotten together and decided this is where we're going to upload stuff, and we're not going to complain about it too much, and people are going to be able to download stuff here, and it's such a simple architecture that people are able to make these tools for it very easily. And a lot of the stuff that we're going to see today is stuff that isn't officially CPAN because it's not anything that's centralized. Now we have this big archive network out there, but that's really just the archive network and everyone else is building on top of that stuff. If you really want to know the guts of how all of this stuff works together, you want to check out this talk by Elaine Ashton, Grokking CPAN, and you have to go actually on BackPan, which we'll talk about later, uh, to get that thing, because I don't think it's in her author directory on the CPAN anymore. But this goes through the minute details of how CPAN actually works. So the goals for this particular talk is that I want to make my own CPAN. So that could mean all sorts of things. I want to take the CPAN that's out there and sort of modify it in some sort of way so it has different things on it. Or maybe I want to freeze a current snapshot of CPAN so when I make my application and I pass this around to various people within my company or to my clients that I know exactly which versions of modules are going to get. It's the ones that I've tested my application against and that sort of thing. I don't have to worry about uh, someone uploading code to, to CPAN that breaks everything. And this has happened a couple of times in the history of CPAN. I'm not going to name any names, but Michael Schwern uploaded uh, a few things that dealt with the test modules, and it's no big deal. It, it happens. But since everything uses the test modules, and we have this cascading failure thing, um, I'm not really trying to protect against that, but imagine something like, I don't know, the author of CGIPM uploading a new version where he decides that he wants to do completely different things with the interface. I've had that bite clients before. I don't want that to happen, so I want to freeze CPAN. Or forget about the P in the CPAN, the Perl part, and figure out maybe I want to do this for Ruby or Python or something else, some of these other communities that are struggling with their idea of how to make all of their wonderful libraries available to the public. You can use the same architecture from CPAN, 
rewrite the tools in whatever particular language they want to use, and then they have the same sort of power that Perl already has. Okay, so CPEN actually goes back quite a bit. This was actually proposed way back in 1993. Now remember, Perl 5 didn't start getting out into the public until around 1994. So we're talking about before Perl 5 was actually out and available for people to use, and definitely before people were using this in production. It's really the comprehensive Perl archive network. It's not just modules. That's probably what most people think of when they think of CPAN. But there's also all the Perl binary uh, that they made for things like OraPerl and SciPerl and all that stuff's there, the Perl sources there. All sorts of other things are there. This is actually created uh, later in 1995. Now, they put the idea forth, and they're still sort of collecting all the stuff together. But then a bunch of people actually got together and collected the stuff and put it in one place. That's where they actually make the CPAN. Now, this is this uh, central server that lives in Finland. Uh, Jarko Hyantanimi was one of the people instrumental in getting that actually put together. Okay? Now, it wasn't until later that they actually started putting modules on there. Pause had to be created. This is the Perl Authors Upload Server. This is something that Andreas Koenig did. So CPAN is going to actually mirror things from Pause, which is handling all the module stuff. So the Pause handles all the module stuff, but there's still a bunch of other stuff on CPAN too. We're not going to talk too much about those, uh, though. And then once we have this master server, instead of having everyone talk to that particular server, they start adding mirrors. And there's lots and lots of mirrors now. There's something over 300 mirrors, I think. You can actually get that list. They keep that thing pretty up to date, and they watch the health of all the mirrors so they can tell who's failing and who shouldn't be in the list and stuff like that. And you also see that list when you set up uh, cpan.pm for the first time, for instance, because it'll ask you where you are and which mirrors you want to use and all sorts of stuff like that. Okay, so here's how it works. CPAN mirrors content, and there's a file that you can look at in CPAN itself called Mirrored From. It shows where it's mirroring a bunch of stuff. Okay? Now, one of those things is Pause, which has all the modules. We'll talk about that in a minute. So that goes to that master server in Finland, like I said. Then there's, after that, a primary ring of mirrors. So instead of Finland having to push all this stuff to these 300 or so mirrors all over the world, there's a primary ring of mirrors that are on fast connections and spread out over the globe that the secondary ring of mirrors, the ones that you're probably going to play with, uh, actually pull from. Okay. And then, besides that, that's just most of the CPAN architecture there. There are a bunch of tools that work with the basic structure of this stuff that's already on CPAN. When most people, regular people like you and me, talk about CPAN, we're talking about the whole overarching thing, everything that might ever touch this stuff. When the people who architect this stuff talk about CPAN, they're actually just sort of talking about these servers. So we're going to talk about some of those tools as we go along, too. But let's talk a little bit about pause. This is the part that lets uh, people upload modules. So you go to pause.perl.org, and you can see uh, a bunch of the stuff that that does. You can get an account on pause, so you can upload modules, which will then be mirrored onto CPAN. You can look at other people's modules. You can view permissions on modules and see various things that it tracks. And we'll see some of that as we go along. This is the gateway for getting things as a normal user onto CPAN. Now, the CPAN master is going to look at pause, and it's going to mirror two directories. One is called modules, which curiously isn't the directory that has the modules in it. We're going to see those files in a minute. And then there's the other directory called authors. This is where all the module stuff is going to show up. Every author is going to get their own directory so they can put stuff in there. And it doesn't really matter what they put in there either. This stuff can be uh, modules. It could be scripts. It could be HTML files. It could be anything. You can put almost anything into your uh, directory. But pause is going to do some stuff to 
find the distributions and help us figure out where these uh, modules are. So here's how it works. We upload a distribution, and I should actually say distribution here instead of uh, modules, and it's gonna put it into authors somewhere. Now, everyone's gonna have a pause ID. That's the only way that you can upload things to uh, pause, or at least get it to index it. And so my pause ID is gonna become part of the path to any one of my distributions. So I'll go in authors, take the first letter of my pause ID. So I got the B and then the BD and the BD FOI. So that works it out so it's not having thousands of files in a single directory. You don't want to uh, slow down things too much by having a, a huge directory there. And then finally, in my directory BD FOI, it'll put whatever distributions I upload. Now that's just the way that pause does it. It has to put the file somewhere. Now it, the path isn't really going to matter. And we start talking about making our own CPAN. We're going to see how we can make this path be anything we like. It just has to be findable by the CPAN tools. Okay, so now pause is going to put this stuff in various places and it's going to create some uh, index files. So it's going to go through and look at all these distributions that I have. It's going to unpack them, look at all the things that are in there and create uh, some things that help the CPAN tools find where these distributions are. So when you do something like tell cpan.pm or cpan plus to install a particular module, say uh, something like you know CGI or Tesmore, uh, just to mention some of them that I uh, uh, talked about earlier, it's going to look at these index files, discover which distribution file, which archive has that particular module in it. Then I'll be able to get the path inside my tool, and then I'll get that path from whatever mirror I'm going to deal with, and then I can go on and do my stuff. So there's one that makes, there's uh, 02 packages.details.txt.gz, and this thing is uh, gzip because if you unpack that thing, it's about four megabytes. And then there's, uh, we'll look at that uh, in a minute. There's the 03 modlist.data.gz. This doesn't matter so much, but it has some extra information about modules that have been registered in the module uh, list. I'm not going to talk about that tonight, but we'll see how that uh, thing looks. And then there's a new file. Andreas added this uh, just a couple weeks ago. The permissions file, 06perms.txt.gz, uh, that has a nice little text format of all the permissions for the pause modules. So you can see who's a co-maintainer of which module, who is a, the first come author, uh, which uh, modules are in the module list, and so on. Okay, so here's an extract of the 02packages.details.txt. And I've Ungzipped it because I don't think that you'd want to look at the the gzip stuff right there on the slide. Okay, so we have a column that has a module name. We have a column that has the version number of that particular module, and then we have the distribution file where that thing shows up. So in this first one, date double colon span has version 1.123, and that's in this directory r slash rj slash rjbs. So that's Ricardo Signus's stuff. And it's in this distribution file, date span 1.123.tar.gz. So if I wanted to install date uh, span, the tool that I would use to do this, whatever it is, cpan.pm or cpan plus or something like that, is going to look in this file. It's going to scan down until it gets to this thing. It will say, okay, that's the latest version number. It doesn't really matter too much. But this is the place where I have to go get it from. So go talk to my mirror, pull out that part of the path download that file, then start doing the stuff with that particular file. Now, once I have that, there might be dependencies and things, and it just repeats the process for everything it wants to do that for. Okay. Now, here's 03modlist.data.gz. This is only a little bit 
of it. There's actually, a, it's only a big uh, anonymous array that has as its elements more anonymous arrays. Now, each of these things say something about the particular module. And I don't uh, particularly remember the order that all these things come in, so I'm not going to explain those fields. But each uh, module that's registered gets its name in there somehow. There's some stuff about the licensing and the support and uh, various things like that. There is a little description of the module, the person who has the permissions on that right now, and that last thing there is the category, that thing that you see when you go to search.cpan.org and you see those initial categories. That's that last thing in that uh, thing there. But this isn't going to matter so much to us because we don't necessarily need to look at this metadata stuff. Um, but that's just one of the index files it creates, and that's just part of it. Okay? And then the perms text looks like this. It has a, uh, a module name there, comma, the author who is responsible for that module, and something about uh, the permissions for that module. So M means it's in the module list, uh, C means this guy's a co-maintainer, and F means this guy has the first come permissions on that. So once you upload a module for the first time that pause hasn't seen before, hasn't ever indexed, it gives you first come on that. Okay? And from then on, you're basically the owner of that sort of thing. Okay? So if you want to do things with MySpace, there are modules on CPAN to help you update your MySpace profile and like totally trick it out and check your friends online and all that sort of stuff. I just learned about that this week, so that's why I threw that in the, uh, the slide there. Okay, so now we have to have tools that are going to go look at these index files and decide what to do. And mostly these are what I would call third-party projects, although we sort of think of ourselves as a community. It's not like they're officially uh, associated with CPAN or you have to get Yarko's permission to play with these things or anything like that. So there's things like CPAN search. So Graham Barr has created this wonderful search engine that can pull in all these files and pull in all the modules and all these uh, things going on in CPAN and provides you a nice front end to look at it. He's not creating CPAN, but he's giving you a way to get into it and find the stuff that you want. Or there's things like CPAN.PM. Andreas Koenig wrote this. So this is uh, a module that helps you write programs to interact with CPAN. You might have already seen things like saying Perl-M CPAN on the command line and then giving it some commands and installing that stuff. Or there's a script that comes with it called CPAN, simply enough. You say CPAN, you give it a module name, and it just installs it for you. Again, this is working with the architecture that's already there, not necessarily uh, having to be any official part of it. Uh, CPAN Plus is another thing like CPAN.PM. It's another way of doing it. I'm not going to talk too much about that. Um, but whenever I say CPAN.PM in this talk, just think that you can do the same things with CPAN Plus. It's another tool that does the same sort of thing, installs modules and looks at those index files and can tell you interesting things about uh, whatever distribution you want to care about. And then there's really cool things like AnnoCPAN. So you want to put little stickies on your CPAN documentation, uh, you can do that. You go to AnnoCPAN, you get an account, you go to some module documentation and they figured out all the nifty little Web 2.0 ways to do that sort of stuff. And you can make notes that other people can see or that you can go and add to later on and remind yourself of stuff. Uh, and again, that is just a third-party way of looking at the stuff that's already on CPAN. So let's talk a little bit about CPAN.PM. That's going to be sort of the, the centerpiece of making my own CPAN stuff. Okay. So it uses the index files to find the right distro. It looks for that path in the mirror. It takes that mirror name that we're going to configure, and we're going to see that in a minute. And then it says, okay, that stuff's always in the author's directory. And now take that path that I got out of the 02 
packagesdetails.txt and put that on all together. Now go and download that file. And it figures all this stuff out for you. And once it finds that file, it figures out how to install that stuff. So it gets, it gets the uh, module from the, or the distribution from the first mirror that it finds, and we can configure many things. Later on in this talk, we'll get to the point where we're going to actually make our own mirror and point our cpan.pm at our own mirror. It unpacks that, it runs the makefile.pl or the build.pl or whatever sort of build thing they got going on there. If there's any dependencies that it needs to install, because you know the uh, makefile.pl or the build.pl will figure that stuff out for us, it will go and fetch those things too. And this is the big bonus of cpan. This automatically installs all this stuff. Okay? And then uh, we keep doing that till we finally get to the point where we've got the whole thing installed. Okay? We're going to, again, do this all locally. Now here's what we want to do. This is the first step in making our own cpan. Now once we understand how all this works, we can start making our own product for this. Now Randall Schwartz came up with this idea of mini cpan. I don't need all of cpan, which is something like... Uh, 3.8 or something gigs now. I didn't look today, but it's getting pretty big, almost to the point where it won't even fit on a DVD anymore. It was a sad day when it sort of went over the hump of not fitting on a CD, but now we're even past it on a DVD. So instead of having all that, let's make a local mirror, but let's only put the latest versions of things in our local mirror. So if you look on CPAN and look in any particular author's directory, you're going to find that they keep around a lot of old versions of modules. Um, either because they want to uh, let people download the older versions of modules that they know are stable with their application, or they're just lazy about cleaning out the stuff that they have. I often go through my CPAN directory through the pause interface and click off the things that I don't need anymore or don't want people to use. And so pause can go along and clean that stuff up and then it doesn't get mirrored on the CPAN. And hopefully you can shrink the size of CPAN a little bit. I actually defined a a magic number in Perl called the Schwartz factor, which is the size of a mini CPAN that just uses the latest versions of everything uh, 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 against the full size of CPAN. And it's actually uh, pretty curious. I forget what the number actually is right now, but when I started this, it was um, uh, pretty high. So CPAN was uh, much, much larger than the mini CPAN by you know, a factor of like four or five or six or something like that. And when I looked at it recently, I discovered that the mini CPAN has grown a little bit more fast than the full CPAN. So either more stuff is current or people have been cleaning out their author directories or something. But we're getting to the point now where mini CPAN might not even fit on a CD. Uh, it used to be, uh, I think, 200 megabytes when Randall first did this, maybe back in 2002. And now it's getting up to be uh, right around 800 megabytes just for the current versions of everything on CPAN. Okay, so anyway, so I'm going to make this thing. I'm going to download all these current versions to my local machine. I'm going to download the latest index files, which I need to figure out where these things are. And then I'm going to point my cpan.pm at my local mirror. Now, remember what cpan.pm is doing. When it wants to download something, it's going to go look uh, in the index file for that thing. It's going to get that relative path. And then it's going to put it together with my mirror address, along with that author's directory, so I get the whole thing. So as long as it knows the relative path from the index and it knows where my local mirror is, then it knows how to get this file. Okay, so I'm going to update my mini cpan from the network, and then I'm going to install things without the network. This can be pretty cool. If you uh, have some sort of policy in place at your work where you can't install things over the network, and that's the rule that they have, you just can't install things over the network, 
Well, you make your mini C pan, you put it on a CD or something like that. We're going to see how to do that too. And then you have it on a CD and you can install it without the network. Okay, now the way that we're going to do this nowadays is use the CPAN mini module. You don't really have to write a program for this sort of thing, uh, but this is uh, made by Ricardo Cygnus. It took Randall Schwartz's original script and made it into a module so you can actually program it in different ways, that, uh, if you like, make it configurable and programmable. So uh, we're going to do something like this. Let's first edit our .mini CPAN RC file, and this just goes in our home directory. Okay. So we put that in our uh, home directory, and we put some configuration things in there. These are all explained in the documentation. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. And then when we run the mini cpan command, it's going to look in this file and decide what to do. So in this case, I've said I have a local key in the configuration, and I'm going to say slash mini cpan is a place where it should put our local mirror. Okay, so I'm going to store this on my local server. And then in the remote key, I'm going to pick some sort of CPAN mirror that's already out there somewhere, and I'm going to tell it to pull its files from there. Okay. And I'm going to also tell it to skip Perl, meaning don't download the older versions of Perl. These are rather large distributions, something like 50 or 60 megabytes now. Don't download things like Parrot and some other things. So now I have that there. I can run mini CPAN. So I just run the mini CPAN command. And it starts doing its magic. First, it updates a bunch of those index files. So there's updating my 02packages.details.txt, my 03modulus.data.gz, and so on. And then it starts going through these uh, uh, files and looking at what I have installed locally in my mini CPAN and what's currently on CPAN. If I need to update something, I update it. So I've updated this module, Apache Fast Forward. And uh, it keeps going on from there. At the end, when it's updated everything, it'll start going through what's in mini CPAN, find the stuff that isn't current, and start deleting all that stuff. Okay. Now, we also have filters. Now, maybe I don't want all of CPAN. Or, I mean, I don't, definitely don't want all of CPAN, but maybe I don't want even all of mini CPAN. There are a ton of things on CPAN. There's something uh, just under 13,000 distributions, I think. 13,000 different distributions for doing things. Um, I was theorizing on some sort of script that might use all of those with their original intent to do some sort of task, but I don't know if we can come up with that sort of thing. Um, so I don't want to pull down the files I'm not going to use, and I don't want to um, necessarily pull down the files that I'm going to override myself. And we'll talk about overwriting files in a bit. But here's a cool thing. Check out this picture. I made this with Grand Perspective, a Mac application that takes a directory, looks at all the sizes of everything, and makes this nice little uh, uh, tree graph here. So the size of these boxes correspond to their file size. Now the biggest one, this guy right here, is a BioPerl module. I imagine maybe they have some uh, data that's distributed with that, which makes it so big. It's about 13 megabytes. Now the next biggest guy, is this guy right here. This is another BioPro module. The other big guys, these guys here, these tan ones and these tan ones up here, those are all Parrot distributions. So I just, I'm not going to get the Parrot distributions because I said skip Perl, but I don't want this BioPerl stuff either. And I can actually look through here and say, oh, what's that guy? Do I want that guy? Okay, if I don't, I'll filter that out and so on. But that's everything that's going on there. Notice there's a lot of pretty large distributions. I think this guy over here, in the lower corner, this green guy is 
Number Phone UK. And it comes with a huge chunk of binary data. You give it a UK phone number and it tells you where that is. I'm not really sure what that binary data is. I just know about this module from the discussions on um, uh, the QA list recently where the CPANs, the CPAN uh, tester service, um, is having trouble munging all its data because when it tries to edit the, or excuse me, parse the pod for all that, it runs into this big binary blob of data, some of which starts with an equal sign at the beginning of the line. And so uh, the pod parser just spits out this huge chunk of binary data that which no one cares about. So that's, that's going to be an interesting thing. But anyway, that's what that module is. So now what I want to do is get rid of some of that stuff. The CPAN mini module allows me to do that. What's really happening when I run mini CPAN is it's calling this method update mirror. The mini CPAN thing, the, the script itself, really is just a convenience for me to read the configuration file, populate the constructor for this thing with the right data, and then run this command. So there's a whole bunch of things I can put in here for configuration, and I'll just put dot, dot, dot there for right now. And you can look on the uh, documentation to see what those things actually are. But the things that I'm curious about here are path filters and module filters. I'm not especially sure why there has to be two, but there are. The things that return true for any of these, and they can be a subroutine or a regular expression, if they return true, we're going to skip them. Okay, so here I have, take my first argument, match it against BDFOI. Now, if that is one of my modules, that thing is going to return true because that path has my name in it because it's BDBDFOI. But I want to uh, not skip those, so I'll put a not out in front. So this whole thing ends up being false for my modules, which means I'm not going to skip it because I'm skipping the things for which the whole deal is true. So this would only update my modules. For instance, if I want to have a special mirror that's only my modules for some reason, just so I can look at them and, and you know, smile or whatever I want to do, uh, I can do that. Now, module filters is the same thing. If its test returns uh, true, it's going to skip that stuff. So I'll say uh, uh, regular expression here for test, and if I find one of my test modules, that thing uh, will be skipped. Question? Yeah, if any of them return true, then it should be skipped. So you see that the value here for the path filters and the module filters in is an anonymous array, so you can put more than one thing in there and it will try them all. Okay. So you have two ways to filter stuff out there. Now, you have to decide on your, on your own which things you want to leave out of your version of CPAN. And that right now is just trial and error. Okay, so now what we need to do, once we have our mini CPAN, this stuff is already on our local machine, we're not going to use the mirrors on the network at all, is configure cpan.pm so that it looks at the thing on our disk rather than on the network. Okay, that's going to be pretty easy. The, only, the easiest way is to find this file cpanmyconfig.pm. This is where cpan stores all of its configuration information. The tricky part is this probably isn't in your Perl library directories. So you can't do something like perldoc-l to find this. CPAN puts this somewhere special, like in a directory in your home directory. Um, curiously, on my, my MacBook, it is in application support slash dot CPAN, which took me forever to find. Um, I don't know how it ended up there. I must have been drinking quite a bit that night. Um, uh, 
find this thing and just edit the file directly. It's just Perl code that cpan.pm loads up and then uses when it wants to do its stuff. Um, it's usually uh, set up at the first use. The first time you run cpan.pm, it asks you, it looks like you don't have this file, so should I set it up for you? And takes you through that prompting that says, you know, which mirrors do you want? And uh, do you want to follow stuff or you want to ask for dependencies and all that sort of junk? And it tells you where you use it. I don't think anyone probably pulls out their notebook and writes down what it actually said. Uh, so I always forget. I always have to go find this thing. But you can also just do it from the CPAN shell, although that can be a little bit tricky, but it's not too bad. So here's how we're going to do it from the CPAN shell. So I just type CPAN at the command line. So the CPAN command comes with a relatively recent versions of Perl. And it starts off the CPAN shell if I don't give it any arguments. Now I've skipped a bunch of stuff in here, so I'm going to just show you a couple prompts. You can say oconf URL list, and if you just do that by itself, it will show you the current URLs it's going to use for its mirrors. But if you say oconf URL list unshift, what it will do is put the next URL you give it onto that URL list, onto the front, just like unshift does, and that will be the first place that it looks now. So I'm going to say file colon then slash 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 mini cpan. I always have to remember that as thinking that the scheme is file colon slash slash, and then the path part is start at my root directory mini cpan. I can never figure that stuff out. I always have to make that mistake and go back and fix it. Now, if you have older versions of cpan.pm, you're going to have to do an oconf commit. Newer versions of cpan.pm will automatically commit any change that you make. Older versions, you can make the change, you'll quit the cpan shell, and then it will discard all your changes. So if you don't see something right after oconf URL list, blah, 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 that says something like this, commit wrote to this place, then throw an oconf commit in there. And then uh, another thing I do, just to be sure, is go back at the end and do an oconf URL list again and uh, see what the list actually is. Okay? And also notice, this is the other big mistake I make, is that the unshift comes in between the thing you're shifting onto and the value you're putting on there. I always make that mistake. I always start off with oconf, unshift, URL list, blah, blah, blah. That's not how it is. It's backwards. So if you're looking at that thinking that you're going to send me nasty emails saying I've got it backwards, well, I'm not the one who got it backwards. That's actually the way it is. Okay, so now I want to make my cPAN. I've got a mini cPAN on my disk. Now I can pull out the Ethernet cable, pull out my wireless card, do whatever I have to do, shut off my EVDO, and whatever I do to my mini cPAN is not going to affect anyone else in the world. So I can play with it any way that I like. And there's a bunch of things I might want to do. For instance, get rid of some of the modules on there. We already have a way to filter those, but maybe I want to do it in some other way too. Um, or maybe I want to replace the uh, modules that are on there with an older distribution. If I use cpan.pm, it's only going to go and find the latest distribution for that particular module. Maybe I don't want to upgrade that stuff. I've been testing my application with this particular distribution. I know it works. And so when I make my version of cPAN, that's the version I want in there. That way I know my clients and my uh, uh, other application developers are only going to install that stuff. Or I have some private modules I've been developing inside my company, and I want to put those on my mini cPAN so that I can use the same tools to install those as I do regular cPAN modules. So it's basically one process rather than having to install cPAN modules and think, oh, this thing is an internal module, so I have to do this other wacky thing. Or I might want to take modules that are already on cPAN without the patches that I keep sending to the author 
apply the patches myself and put the distribution back onto cPAN. So now I've got a patched version. I know I'm not going to get the one from the real cPAN. I've got the one that works. And I'll put that in my mini cPAN. And the other big thing here is that I can put this on an internal server or even on removable media. And now that's the local policy for whatever I'm doing. I've got exactly what I want because I fooled around with the version of cPAN. I've made sure that I get what I want. And then uh, I can walk around with that thing. I even saw in, uh, on the in-flight magazine coming out here that they now have a four gigabyte thumb drive. I mean, they probably, I mean, a thumb drive, not just like one of those palm drives or one of those big monster things, but one of those small things about the size of your thumb that has four gigabytes on it, I meaning you can put quite a bit of stuff on there. So you can actually walk around now and say, plug in something to someone's uh, computer and say, there, you've got CPAN right there on your computer. Okay, so there's uh, uh, lots of things I've already told you about the private modules. Uh, maybe they're just for internal use or, or whatever, but anyway, we're going to put them into CPAN. And the way we're going to do this is this module called mini or CPAN mini inject. This is first going to create a parallel archive where it's going to store all the things to put into the mini CPAN. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to update mini CPAN and that's going to go out to that ring of uh, mini CPAN mirrors and start updating things, which of course means it's going to overwrite all the things that I did to make my CPAN. So first, all the local uh, changes are going to disappear. But when I inject stuff from this parallel archive that isn't touched by the update process, it will change everything back. So I inject that stuff into my mini cPAN, and now all my local modules are back in there. And that can include, for instance, taking stuff out of cPAN that's already that's public modules and putting my version of that public module back in. Okay. And then it's going to update those pause files locally so that when the cPAN tools point at my particular mirror, it finds my versions of modules and installs all the right stuff. Okay, so this is how you do that. This is sort of a pain right now, but I'm doing hopefully some work soon where I, whenever I get some free time, Christmas is coming up right here, uh, where I can make this a bit simpler. You have to say mcpan-i, that's the command name, add, then this is the module name, this is the author ID, and this is the module version, and this is the file that it's in. So I have to put a lot of stuff in there. Eventually, I want to get this down uh, to where you just say, add this distribution. It unpacks the distribution, figures out all the stuff, and then that makes all the right entries. Because notice, for instance, that I have to say module here. Well, this distribution might have five or 10 or however many modules are in there. I don't want to have to keep doing this for every module that's in that distribution. Because remember what that 02 packages details looks like. There's a module name, then a version number, and then the distribution file. So if you want to install any of the modules in that distribution, you have to know one of the names that's in 02 packages details.txt. So what we try to do is put all the module names for that distribution in there. I don't want to run this command over and over again. Right now, I just have a shell script that does this for me, but that's still kind of ugly. So that's how we get stuff in there. This puts it into the parallel archive, sort of a directory off to the side. And there's a uh, configuration file for that. It looks sort of like that .mini cpan rc file. We tell it where my local cpan is, where I want to have my sort of shadow directory uh, for the things I'm going to put in there. Where I'm going, well, excuse me, this is the, the first, the local one is for where my uh, cpan actually is. Before I had slash mini cpan, but for this one I play around, I have a slash my cpan. And then I tell it where I want to 
uh, find this thing, the remote one. Now, for some reason, I put FTP colon slash 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 there. Well, I probably meant file. But when I play around with this, when I'm developing this stuff, once I have a mini CPAN already sitting on my computer, I don't need to hit the network. I'll just hit my own mini CPAN. I just have to put the right URL in there. So I have to go back and fix that. There's a repository link. So I have a directory. Add these private modules. That's just what I'm calling it. That's where this mini CPAN, or excuse me, CPAN mini inject is going to put the stuff that I'm going to add to my uh, CPAN there. And then it has a bunch of other stuff uh, going on in there. Once I do the update of the mirror, I can then inject the modules, taking them, everything that's in here, putting them into my local place, updating the index files, and making sure everything works. Okay, now sometimes I'm going to want to replace public distributions. And there are some rare cases where you're going to need to do this. A lot of times people have local patches and they just can't get the author to accept them. So a lot of times the author is just gone. You'll see people using modules that were last updated in like 2004 or 2002 or something like that. The guy's probably moved on, had kids, you know, has a nice house in New Hampshire somewhere or something and doesn't, you know, read email more than a couple times a week. That guy has just lost interest in Perl for whatever reason, which is fine. People, you know, move around. The great thing is, just as a side note, that Perl has a setup to handle this no problem. Someone who wants to take over the module just writes to modules at perl.org, and one of the pause admins, which is probably someone like myself or Adam Kennedy or Stefan Mueller, can help out in uh, transferring these modules in pause to the guy who now wants to update it. Okay? So that's one way to do that sort of thing if you're having this problem. It's a little bit of a slow process because we don't want to just transfer it the same day. We want to make sure the original author gets a chance to say, hey, no, I really want to keep that module. But if no one responds, we give you the module. Sometimes you've just annoyed the author so much that he just doesn't want to ever hear from you again, no matter how good your patches are. And this happens rarely, but you know, maybe it happens. And so you say, OK, screw that. I will just patch your module locally, and I will put that version into my mini CPAN. Okay. And also, you might want to use something other than the latest distro. I've been saying that quite a bit. But a lot of the clients I go to when I do consulting for Stonehenge say, I've been testing my application that I've been writing for two years with this set of modules. I do not want to start a whole other QA process just because someone updated something on CPAN. A lot of the uh, problems that we see are when people have something that worked for them before, and all of a sudden something on CPAN changes. They don't realize their system admins just upgraded things because there's more new stuff on CPAN. And all the stuff changed without them knowing it, but now all of a sudden their application is acting differently. Okay. Especially when uh, modules change interfaces. Remember how CPAN works. I mean, the CPAN.pm works. It goes out, it finds the latest distribution. Well, let's say we're at version 1.9, and all of a sudden the latest version is 2.0 with a completely new interface. You go in and install that, it doesn't work anymore with your uh, other stuff. For instance, this is a big problem with Apache. When Mod Perl 2 came out, all the Apache modules started to migrate to the Apache 2 Mod Perl 2 interface. But they kept the same names as the old Mod Perl 1 modules, which is Apache, double colon, whatever. So all of a sudden, you thought you had stuff working in Mod Perl 1, and all of a sudden, a, a uh, Mod Perl 2 module shows up and it's completely different and it doesn't work anymore. Well, now they fix that. Now they call it Apache 2 colon colon whatever. But you want to avoid that by not having the latest distro. So we're going to freeze or select 
the public distribution that we want and not let mini CPAN update that. We already know about filters, but we also know about injecting things into uh, the uh, mini CPAN. Now, one of the ways we might want to do this, okay, I've already told you about this, the three steps for doing this. Inject the distros into the parallel directory, update the mini CPAN, and then actually inject those distros into the mini CPAN itself. If we want to find something that's other than the current module on CPAN, we can look at BackPAN. This is actually the collection of everything that's been uploaded through PAUSE. Okay, so all the modules ever in the history of the world that have been uploaded through PAUSE are somewhere in BackPAN. And I have no idea how big this thing is because I haven't looked recently. That's at backpan.cpan.org. Uh, it's not integrated with the CPAN uh, toolchain, though. So you can't, for instance, go to cpan.pm and say, find the distribution that has this version of the module, go and find that somewhere, download that stuff, and then find the right dependencies for that particular module so everything works out. Okay? We don't have anything right now that you can say, module, version number, show me the distro. That's one of my projects right now. I'm trying to work on that. We're going to go through and index these tens of thousands of things on BackPan and have it so you can do that from the command line or search.cpan.org or whatever which is the reason now I'm here talking about all this, because this is my current uh, interest. So the trick to finding the old distributions is that you go to BackPan, you find the thing, and it's basically brute force. Find a distro that you think might have it, unpack the thing, see what versions of the modules are in there. If you don't get it right, you know, you can start doing the bisection thing. Well, if I go back halfway and, or whatever, uh, uh, finally find that thing. And then you know, keep doing that until you get all the right versions for all the modules that you have. Now you've got those distribution files. You can put those into your shadow directory for your mini CPAN, or excuse me, CPAN mini inject. And then you have your CPAN that's in the right state. A lot of work right now, but this is where the good ideas, and I'm not really saying that I'm having a good idea, just that good ideas start in a state where all the parts are there, you just have to automate it somehow. So if I could go through and make an index file for everything that's ever existed in BackPan, then we can do the same sort of thing that we already do with the cpan.pm stuff. Go through, use that second column in the 02 packages details.txt to specify a module name and a version and then find the right distribution and then use that to somehow get that distribution onto your machine. Um, I don't know how long that's going to take me. I'm, I think I'm probably being completely optimistic that it's going to be very easy to do because you just download the modules, unpack them, and look. But it, there's probably going to be some snag that means it'll be out, you know, right around the, uh, you know, sometime after lunch and before Christmas, which basically means never. But we'll see. Um, I've, I've posted this in a few places, and uh, no one's told me I'm completely crazy, which might mean I am, and people are just sort of humoring me or whatever. Okay, so now that I've got all that stuff, I've got exactly what I want in my mini CPAN. I've only the current versions. I've filtered out all the stuff that I don't want because I'm not going to use it. I've added my internal modules, which aren't public. I've replaced any modules which I want to use older distributions from. Uh, what I want to do is put this on removable media. This is especially handy at Stonehenge since we go around and work with a bunch of different people. Is we want to show up and have CPAN on a CD so we can stick this uh, uh, in their computer and start going to town. Because we never know what their network policy is going to be or anything like that. 
manager types and higher legal types feel a lot better if we show up with a CD and we write on it Stonehenge or something like that because it says, you know, who to sue if something goes wrong. Um, but we've never had that problem with the legal stuff. They just tend to feel better because, you know, software comes on CDs, right? You go to Best Buy and that's what you see, software on CDs. And so the people who are looking after this sort of stuff want to see that sort of thing. Also, when I say CD, I just really mean any sort of removable media. Like thumb drives are nice too. Okay? So I um, have all those bits. I can uh, put that stuff on there. But now I have the problem of where is my mini CPAN? If I stick that CD in the drive, what does it come up as? Is it D the D drive, the E drive? Where does that thing mount? Uh, where is that thumb drive going to show up? I have to somehow figure that out. Well, that's not so bad because we can use the CPAN module itself, cpan.pm, to dynamically alter its configuration. Now, I'm not going to show you the whole script here, but basically when we do this, we put a run me script onto the CD or the thumb drive or whatever. You double-click that thing, it starts up, and it's going to step you through the process of doing whatever you want to do. The tricky parts for that are all right here on this slide. We're going to use a CPAN double, CPAN double colon config to load the configuration. So it's going to load this stuff up, and we're going to give it some extra configuration parameters there. One is to, to shut up, so we want it to be silent and don't write any reports, so we set that to false. And then we are going to call this thing CPAN double colon shell arrow O. Now remember back when we were doing that configuration, we did O conf commit. The method name there is the O. I'm not really sure why it's O, but that's what it is. And so what I'm going to do is say I want to pass these things to the O method, conf URL, URL list and unshift, and I just have to fill in this scalar variable here, dollar where I found CPAN. So you start up a script, and there's all sorts of different ways that you can discover where that script is. Things like find bind or uh, get in the current working directory and playing around with that sort of stuff. There's lots of little detail magic sort of stuff that goes on there that's not very interesting for this talk, but it all ends up in this uh, scalar variable there. We add that to our CPAN configuration dynamically as we're doing this, and then for the rest of the script, we just drop down in the regular CPAN shell, and it can do its stuff. So now I've got that thing dynamically configuring itself to use my mirror that's on removable media that might show up in different places every time I put that in the computer. Okay, so now that's where we're at right now, basically. So what I want to do now, and this is what I want to maybe like next half a year or so, is go through and index all of Backpan. Now to do that, I, you know, I'll download some of Backpan and make sure I don't annoy anyone by R-syncing their entire 10,000 gigabytes or whatever it is uh, in one night. That might get me kicked off my cable modem service too, so hope, th hope that doesn't happen. Um, so download part of that and see if I can actually do that. Make that thing searchable too. So imagine search.cpan.org on crack, where, or even the new sort of stuff that's big in operating systems where you can sort of do a, what's the thing they're going to call it in Leopard now? The time machine or whatever, where you can say, show me CPAN on you know, the third Tuesday of July in 1997. That, you can actually do that because Backpan has all the dates for everything. Not that I want to do that, but now that I've said that, it must be a feature, right? Yeah, um, because if you have a particular module and it has dependencies and you want to get dependencies right, you know the date that that module was uploaded, whatever all the dependencies were on that date are probably the right version. 
Right, what he's saying there that it's actually, and I've considered this, and I don't know how I'm actually going to work that, but if you decide that you want to use some module version in the past, um, you're probably going to want to use dependencies that were the current thing at the time that module was released, or around that time. Um, uh, you might not want to use the CGIPM that was released yesterday with the URL module that was released like five years ago. Um, you're going to want stuff that's pretty close together probably if they're depending on each other. That, I, I don't know how to solve that problem yet. Um, I mean, I know how to find all the things that go around that, but then from the person who's going to create this CPAN directory, how do you decide in this big mess that you want to, um, which versions of everything you want to use? I, that might just be like a brute force problem. Someone just has to sit down and look at their application and say, what versions of everything am I using? And then do the extremely difficult puzzle of finding all the distributions that make it all come out the right way. We have one client who actually has a nice little web app that looks at their development machine, changes around versions of modules, and makes a nice report. So we tried it with this version of modules, and all these tests came out like this. But then we changed around the versions of modules, and the test came out like this, and changed around the versions of modules or Perl or whatever, and the test came out like this. And so they can look at this one report and see what modules and versions they'd want to use. That sort of magic, which I haven't looked at too closely, um, might sort of help out in actually indexing backpan and giving you a cadre of modules that you want to put into your mini CPAN rather than just this distribution file. So yes, yeah, so very good point. Um, but the first key is just to make that searchable. I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself and create these wacky features so that I continually add things and never get this thing out there. The first thing I just want to do is index backpan. You put in a module name and a module version, and you get out a distribution file path. If I can do that, most of the other stuff is just work, I think. Okay, and then easier injecting. So instead of having to go through all that CPAN mini inject stuff where I have to specify all that thing, just put a bunch of distribution files in a directory and then have something that goes through all those and creates the shell script to call CPAN mini inject with all the right stuff. You need to do that because we have to update the index files. Okay? So if we can update the index files with all the information that's in all those distributions that we say we want to put in there, uh, automatically that would be much easier. And then, I know this is, this is probably the toughest part, and it's probably just gravy, but if we could integrate this with CPAN tools that are already out there, so you can say, install whatever distribution has uh, this module with this version, that would be pretty cool. That one, uh, I'll give that about 25% chance of ever happening. But wouldn't that be nice if you could do that sort of thing, this time machine sort of aspect? And then on top of that, maybe if all this sort of stuff works out, maybe, I'm saying really maybe here, that this can be another sort of CPAN search. I'm not talking about replacing the stuff that Graham's done. What Graham has done works for most people and is excellent, and I have no interest in forking that or anything like that. Just that maybe there's this other sort of interface we can give that's more encompassing that can help people out. So that's where I am now. Any questions? Nothing. But good, I can drink some water. When you talk about building your own copy of CPAN, um, is there any way to be able to do any of the binary work uh, 
lot of places we have systems where the development servers have all the compilers and everything installed on them, but the production systems don't. So is there any way to say, I'm going to compile it on the development system? OK, the, the question is, uh, we have something that maybe needs to be compiled with XS or something like that. You do it on your development machine where you have all the tools. Now you want to uh, put that stuff already compiled into a mini CPAN and have it work. Um, there's a way. There has to be a way because it's just installing files. The trick is if the current stuff can handle that. Because uh, I, I think if you, when you uh, run the makefile.pl or the build.pl is going to wipe out the stuff that you already have in there. Um, You, if you do a make dist, it's just going to take the things that are in manifest and put them into the dist. Um, there's a way to do this. It, I just The tools aren't set up to do that sort of thing. But now that you've brought up the idea, it's something I can add to my thinking about this. And if I say it enough times to enough people, someone's going to figure out the way to do it. Because that's a problem that a lot of people have. And I think a lot of people would love to have solved. But um, rather than using... My seat wouldn't uh, for that person's problem. The uh, the solution be like par. Um, one of the ways you can do that um, might be par, the Perl uh, archiver. But par has a different idea of sort of how things work. Um, it's more thinking about you have an application, and I'm going to include all the stuff with that application. That that might work for some people. Um, other things might be to, for instance, uh, make your development uh, directories with everything all compiled and just like tar up that directory and install it on, on the same machine if that thing is like the same platform and all that other sort of stuff. And uh, there might, I don't know of a way that that would work right now automatically doing this sort of stuff, but it would be a really cool feature if that existed. And I'm, I haven't had too much experience with PAR, so that might solve part of the problem, too. Is it possible to use a CPAN uh, uh, standard? All you have to do is you just have to take the institution, untar it, go in there, do the make. Okay, guess what? You've actually done make and the make test. Tar that all up again, and then have the install script actually untar it and do the make install in that directory. And then on whatever target machine is, that make install, Yeah, I think some that would be ba the basic process. You you take your development environment and compile everything you need, freeze that directory with everything that's in there, all the compiled results and object files or whatever's in there. Take that tarball, hopefully somehow shove that back into mini CPAN. So when it brings it back down and unpacks it, runs the the trick is not to make it think that the stuff that's in there is older than it is. So it goes through all the make targets again. But, but if you did it, well, see, the point is we've got to have it do the make install without doing the other parts. Because by default, the cpn.pm stuff is going to do, actually, I don't know what it does. Because um, it just does this thing. I don't know if it just says make install. And then because install depends on so many other things, it does all that other stuff. Or if it goes through and tries to run a make and then do the make test and then do the make install in separate steps. But something like that would work. It's just I have to make sure the tools do that. Oh, do it by hand, yeah. You do, you, no, you do it by hand, you do make, make 
Yeah. And so right. right after the make, before the make is installed, tar it up. Then you have the new make uh, target called make extract or something. And all the extract does is it untars it, goes in, does make install. Yeah, by hand it will work. I'm trying to figure out how it would be cool if it did it automatically through this mini CPAN stuff. But yeah, there's. There, there obviously there are a lot of solutions. Yeah. Someone will work with the least thought because one of the things with my mini CPAN is that you don't treat anything different than anything else. So you don't have, you know, here's page one of the install instructions for our application. Here's page two. Here's page three. It's no install this module and everything just happens. Yeah, but that's a that's an excellent point too. Anything else? Okay. Um, there's actually an article that spells all this out in the latest version of the Perl review, which is online and should be in the mail this week, I guess. Um, actually, you know, I forgot to bring the extra issues I had of the last issue. Oh, well. Um, so you can actually see that in written form. I've also hopefully recorded this correctly uh, for Perlcast, and so Josh will probably have that up whenever he has a couple seconds of free time uh, to put this thing online. And I'll make these slides available somewhere. When Josh puts up the Perlcast, this will point to the slides somehow. Um, other than that, thank you very much for coming to this talk and all your suggestions for, for this stuff. If you think about any of this anymore and you have some good ideas, please email them to me um, to sort of guide my thinking about how all this might actually work. Thank you again. That wraps up another Pearlcast presentation. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Remember that if your organization or conference is interested in having your sessions released through Pearlcast, email pearlcast at gmail.com to find out more.